Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 31, and today I'm joined by two guests from 2G Energy. We have Dan Jones, the CEO, and we have Frank Grew, the head of development. Gentlemen, welcome to Energy Radio. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, right on. So 2G is a, uh, a large CHB specialist. Uh, they offer best-in-class technology for gaseous fuels all across the the size range from 50 to 2,500 kilowatts and uh, done over 6,000 systems throughout the world and uh, have headquarters both in Germany where Frank is based and in uh, in the U.S. in beautiful St. Augustine, Florida where Dan is based. Um, so we're really, and we've done a CEM, we've done projects with 2G over the years, many projects. And so uh, it's a pleasure to have you guys. And Frank is our uh, first international guest, so that's also uh, exciting to have uh, to have both of you with us. But um, before we dive in, and we're going to talk about uh, your technology and particularly some of the fun stuff you guys are doing around hydrogen as a fuel. But before we do that, um, maybe I'd ask both of you. I'll start with you, Dan, just to give a bit of your background and how you uh, you know in the space, and then how you ended up at 2G. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, began into the CHP industry about uh, a little over 15 years ago, uh, looking at uh, solutions for my uh, family farm for biogas solutions, and uh, was recommended to check out 2G for the size range we were looking at. So about 11 years ago, uh, we became the first customer uh, for 2G uh, in North America, and uh, from there, I've also been a distributor for 2G, and I've um, been uh, a competitor of 2G, and I've come back to, to 2G to uh, to be part of their North American organization and uh, uh, grow and develop uh, the uh, verticals that are, are available to us, including hydrogen. And 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 recently um, got the uh, the E added to your title, right? Recently, kind of grew into the CEO role. Is that right, Dan? That's correct. Yes, uh, for for the North American division. That's uh, a new uh, a new letter at the end of my title. <laughs> yeah, good to hear and, and well deserved. Um, yeah, thank you, uh, Dan. And for the those who are listening, Dan and I um, we go way back. Um, both cut our teeth uh, pretty hard in the biogas industry. I'll never forget. And Dan's heard me tell the story so many times. The fri Friday evening, I think I was eating supper or something, and Dan calls and he says. Uh, we're, we're going on a road trip next week. And uh, anyways, long story short, we uh, we ended up doing a tour of eastern Ontario, trying to help a whole bunch of uh, farmers kind of put their biogas projects back on the rails. And, and ever, ever since then, we've been uh, trying to develop projects and get good projects up and running. So it's uh, been, been been real fun. So and Frank, um, <laughs> did I get your last name right? Is it did I pronounce it right? Frank Grew? <laughs> this is yeah it's okay to me um the right the fully right pronunciation is Grieve, uh -huh. but i think uh it's uh not easy to pronounce so i'm really used to uh when you said in english it's a gruy or grew <laughs> okay. we, we reference frank as mr grew um oh okay. yeah. Me. yeah yeah okay the reference yes yes very good. Well, Mr. Grew, how did you end up at 2G? Tell us your story. Yeah, um, so I'm a 30 years old mechanical engineer and I live near the headquarter, as you already, uh, already mentioned. 
And yeah, from my side, I was always fascinated by engines as my father is an auto mechanic and I often helped him uh, repairing cars. And after I finished school in Germany came up the first renewable energy law. And my focus and interest went also to the renewable energy sector at that time. And it became clear to me that I was study mechanical engineering. And direct after that, I got the chance to start my career at 2G, so I'm employee number 36 from 2G, wow. 2G. and um, yeah, I could combine my interest in engines and environmental friendly energy production there perfectly. And yeah, that was in 2007. In 2008, I assumed the overall responsibility for the R&D department. Um, in R&D, the main test, engine development, genset and CHP design, and software development, and as well as the engine uh, manufacturing. And uh, to GIA, this department over the time became a kind of secondary engine manufacturer by taking existing engines, optimizing them to the use of different gases as a fuel. And with that came up also the idea to uh, use hydrogen uh, in our engine and to specialize them um, to hydrogen, yeah. So now as a managing director in our main operative unit in Germany, the 2G Energietechnik, and I'm still responsible for the R&D, but uh, also for the service department since 2015. Okay, wow, very cool. So you're really focused on uh, where the company is going next in terms of new technology that when you wake up in the morning, that's kind of what you're thinking about, right? Absolutely important to me. So, um, yeah, it's very cool. We I think about periods of five to 10 years and I want um, yeah, to work till my retirement to 2G. So what do I need to do? I'm 38 uh, years old and I think there will be changes. So um, sure. I need to think about it constantly. Yeah, very good. And it, what's interesting about your story is as as North Americans, we've always and particularly, I think, in Ontario, as we've tried to go through our own um, journey of renewable energy, we've always looked at Europe and, and Germany in particular as, oh, you know, they 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 have it figured out. They, uh, you know, they've got it. and and they're and, and that's true. Uh, I think as as Canadians, sometimes we miss there are factors uh, at play in Germany that aren't necessarily at play in, in North America. So it's not as easy as just copying Germany. But what I have always loved about the, you know, what, what, what Germany did with such a massive growth of renewable energy is really created this industry and this kind of um, uh, demographic or even generation of folks like yourself who are of that age and who grew up in the industry and it's just, it's, it's normal. It's what you do. It's where your expertise is. And I remember when I was working for Plan ET and, and, you know, going over to, to, to Freyden and, and, and meeting with them, it was all, you know, young people, right. And, and, and the energy and the excitement that drove that industry forward was, was young people. And now, you know, kind of coming into, into your own and your career and, and uh, it's exciting. It's a, it's a level of energy that the industry needed and, and it's exciting to see that continue. So, well, excellent. Thank you both for, for joining. And, and Dan, maybe, you know, for our listeners, can you, you know, give a bit more of a description of, of 2G, we touched on some of it in the early couple minutes here, but uh, just give an overview of 2G and kind of your your space in the market and and you know in, in North America what you're focused on, uh, and then we'll start to get into some of the the hydrogen discussion after that. 
Yeah, so so um, a little bit about 2G. 2G is headquartered in uh, or just north of Dusseldorf. Um, founded 25 years ago by two gentlemen with the last name G, Groffelt and Gosling. Uh, they had a vision to establish themselves as CHP leaders. The company has developed its uh, own engine technology from 20 uh, kilowatts to one megawatt. It's also publicly traded. Um, this this uh, organization, uh, as Frank said, it was number 36. Uh, there's currently uh, about 700 employees globally. Uh, there's entities, um, 12 subsidiaries across uh, the, uh, the globe, sorry. Um, so, so there's a, a bit of a global snapshot. Uh, again, with below one megawatt, we specialize in using our own engine technology. Um, and above one megawatt, we integrate other solutions, Yumbacher, uh, MTU, or uh, MWM into our, our, our containerized or our modularized solutions for, for plug and play uh, implementation on customer sites. In North America, we, uh, each region is so specifically uh, different than the other one. They have their own uh, caveats. So we have a, a team dedicated to developing uh, the leads and the verticals within uh, each of those regions and supported by uh, a direct service approach. Hmm. Very cool. And the continue the business in, in North America continues to grow and, and you're excited about the prospects of the future? Absolutely. Right on. Very cool. Well, hey, let's let's start to get into the main topic today, which is is hydrogen and, and, and maybe a little bit broader, um, you know, different fuels. Uh, as I think I said to you guys um, before, like hydrogen and, um, you know, the, these different fuels is something for us uh, at CEM and more importantly, you know, for the clients that we serve is, is becoming really an exciting topic. And so that's why today is so important is to understand okay, you know, from a high level, it sounds good, but, you know, what, what's being done and what can be done uh, to burn different types of fuels. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll keep it at that high level for a minute. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of activity um, in, in the combustion engine or even gas turbine space with respect to different fuels. Um, and, you know, on one hand, there's an RNG space, uh, but in, from the combustion perspective, that's you know the same as burning natural gas. But where where do you guys see the um, the hydrogen market? Like, what's your view of the broader uh, market? What are the drivers? You know, what's some of the uptake? Um, and maybe maybe each of you can give a different perspective because we have a European and a North American perspective. But um, you know, maybe, maybe Frank, you want to go first and kind of give us your view of the hydrogen market and what's driving it and, and where it's going and what's exciting about it for you guys. Yes, I can say something about the German perspective on that or the European maybe. So um, basically the supply of electricity is responsible for around 40% of the um, energy related CO2 emissions. So this sector offers a high potential for emission reduction and this uh, reduction can get realized um, just only by the use of renewable energy sources such as wind and solar. And um, the electricity mix in Germany, for example, is from around 40% uh, renewables and it's um, strongly increasing. 
Um, but at the same time, these sources are inherently fluctuating and not necessarily available when there is an energy demand. So hydrogen is a perfect long-term storage technology for overcapacities of renewable energy. It can become a kind of seasonal storage, different to a battery where we think, okay, it's good to bring the solar power from the day to the night. Uh, hydrogen is able to bring the solar power, for example, from summer into the winter months by storing it in large gas grids and use it on demand in, in combined heat and power units with efficiency of 80% yeah, and higher. And as long as the energy sector is driven more and more by this renewables, um, hydrogen will become a high relevance as this kind of storage technology in um, Germany. Um, so green hydrogen yeah, is also uh, get used more and more for the decarbonization in other industries. So the capacities overall will increase and it will be available also for carbon-free combined heat and power generation more and more in general. So we think that, yeah, besides of, of course, methane from biogas, it's the technology what is closest to a practical use in cereal, uh, other than renewable gases, um, it's by far um, best developed uh, technology. So yes, we think that hydrogen will play a major role and uh, government in Germany decides to spend a lot of um, money now on Wednesday um, to push this industry to um, to um, yeah increase um, the, the market volume in hydrogen here for decarbonization not just the energy sector but also the, the um, whole industry. So what I'm hearing is that there's this desire to decarbonize electricity I, th I think there's a you know the the wind and the solar and the the what i call the sexy technologies uh, the, yeah. the easy to understand technologies obviously play a big role in that but the practicality is that it's not always sunny and not always windy and so what you guys are seeing in that drive towards that you know decarbonizing the electricity grid is is the need for storage and hydrogen a key part of that? Um, what, in terms of that, where do you see the storage? Um, is it is it the existing natural gas infrastructure, or what? what how does that storage piece fit into the, the the broader hydrogen economy? So what we see is there will come up um, different um, possibilities. So there is the natural gas grid where you can store or where you put 5 to 10 volume percentage of hydrogen in to, to mix it. We see grids what can uh, accept around 30% hydrogen, and we see the pure hydrogen grids. So we see a, a, a wide mixture of, of, of possibilities. We have a natural our natural gas grid here in Germany have a storage capacity of around 360 terawatt hours, what is around one-fourth of what can uh, deliver one-fourth of the electrical demand for of a year. Mm. So it's a really large storage capacity and it will be good to for mix, for, for, uh, to, to put hydrogen into this grid. But they are developing currently um, also very interesting projects with pipes where they have 100% hydrogen. And um, from the north where we have a lot of wind turbines, I want to deliver this energy 
uh, stored as hydrogen in the more industrial uh, sections in Germany, so what's in the middle or in the south. So uh, there will be differences, and this is why we um, have um, different settings also for the engines. We don't see the gas quality or the gas um, mix. We see that we need to adapt the engine to the specific gas what we get. And in the case of hydrogen, it can be a mixture in the natural gas grid of uh, 5 to 10, then we don't need to change a lot. It can be uh, 30 to 40 percent. Uh, we need to ch make some uh, changes on the engine, or it can be the pure hydrogen, where we use also then our pure hydrogen engine. So the mixture will be there. This is um, what okay. we're saying. Well, thank you for that perspective. And, and uh, Dan, to build onto that, I mean, do you have a sense of the North American market? Is it is it going the same way? Or, I mean, where are we relative to that progression? Or are there different drivers? Or what's your sense on this hydrogen economy from a North American perspective? I, I have to tell you that we're developing that sense right now. We're, we're with the product being relatively new, um, our team is, uh, for the 60 hertz market, our team is uh, engaging and, and trying to learn what the verticals and, and, and the opportunities are. We see a definition of uh, gray, blue, and green hydrogen, a green being a renewable-based hydrogen conversion, uh, blue being uh, a non-renewable conversion, and gray being an industrial process, an off-gas, if you will. Mm. So looking at those three bubbles, if you will, or opportunities, uh, as Frank mentioned, having uh, the the capability to to use the fuel from those processes can be different, and we have to design specifically around that. Another component is that we have the fuel blending capability. So if it's a hundred percent hydrogen engine, uh, we can blend in another fuel into that that system to allow it to um, use what's available to create the energy when and where it's needed. Huh. And do we see um, do we see more uptake where you know hydrogen is produced at this you know and it's consumed at the same location as pure hydrogen, or do we see more uptick in this blending or or using the hydrogen that's in the natural gas grid? Do we have a sense of you know where the biggest growth is going to be? Not yet. We're working to 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 establish that uh, there, there's. Many people uh, working these verticals uh, or different variables to to uh, to see what's going to stick, and uh, it's pretty exciting to see how much activity is actually happening on the ground. And uh, from our side, we really see hydrogen as a climate neutral fuel, so we want to be part of that uh, reduce reduction of carbon emissions. And I would imagine, Dan, for you from a North American perspective, it's highly um, regionalized because the policy. Yeah, yeah. Are, are more you know provincial or state-based right absolutely if you look at california and british columbia they have uh, very specific uh, hydrogen economy directives frank back to you for a minute in terms of you know what's i mean there's it's, it sounds like there's this public sentiment um you know to to move towards a a decarbonized uh, um grid but to, to to fill in the gap between public sentiment and actually spending money and getting stuff done th there needs to be some policy bridge i think like what is the government doing to you know drive this transition towards uh, a, you know and ultimately drive this transition towards you know the hydrogen play like are there certain um incentives or are there certain um 
you know, kind of <clears throat> targets in terms of uh, carbon reduction or hydrogen consumption or like what's driving it from a government policy perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are targets. Um, I read about now a five gigawatt installed electrolysis capacity till 2030 is one of the targets. So, um, and what they're doing, yeah, they're spending a lot of money, um, but mainly yeah, for R&D, for research and development, for um, demonstration uh, projects. Um, when we talk about our um, engines in the field, so most of them are really demonstrators. They uh, installed um, yeah, to, to show that, that it's possible and to find the best way uh, to make it um, available um, for serial production maybe later yeah. but um, we are not at that point also not in Germany there's not a clear plan that they say okay um, electricity from hydrogen you get a feed-in tariff or something this is not existing it's more um, really the, the development um, of, of uh, hydrogen technologies and um, of course um, the or one of the of the big targets is the storage of the of the um, Capacities from the or the overcapacities from the renewables. So we have a lot of wind in the north, and a lot of um, um, times where they, the wind turbines are down. Uh, so you could uh, fuel. I think um, I calculated it once: one million um, um, fuel cell cars uh, by the capacities of the of the of the um, downtime. Well, uh, if you could avoid it. Hmm. Because the grids, the, the electrical grids haven't the capacity. So, and um, yeah, gas is a great chance, I think, also for existing um, industry to to find new ways um, to operate environmental friendly. Hmm. So it's more driven based on targets as opposed to what we saw with the biogas, which was based on feed-in tariffs and 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 yeah, driving. That's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah. Currently, currently, yeah. that's a different Yeah, um, and and you mentioned something interesting, which is not necessarily what we plan to talk about, but the whole fuel cell and 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 transportation economy. As you as you take advantage of this surplus renewables through uh, electrolysis, um, we on this call, from an energy perspective, you know, look at it as as a as a fuel for electricity, but is 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 that where most of it's going or is there a, a drive to have fuel cell uptake in Germany as well? Yeah, so um, in the car sector, I think um, the battery will be the leading technology. Um, but um, in the transportation heavy load, uh -huh. they are looking more and more also to, to hydrogen concepts. And then, um, yeah, with the fuel cell or with the engine, so when you see a, a, a PEM um, fuel cell, um, it's um, much more sensible to use an, an um, engine um, in stationary operation from our point of view because the specific costs you have network of technicians all around the world what can handle an engine and um, so uh, and the efficiencies are even higher. So um, it, it could be a technology for, for heavy load transportation. Um, and of course, this is also one of the things um, that need to um, consider. And um, 
yeah, in the industry, we have also in the chemical industry and so on, there's a usage of hydrogen. And currently, they take the so-called gray hydrogen, what is um, a product um, from, from yeah, processes where they have a carbon dioxide and um, just splitting the, the H2s uh, often of natural gas or something and have still carbon dioxide. And now this industry can get transferred to green hydrogen at first, away from the gray hydrogen. And um, so this is um, really an active um, yeah, coupling of this sectors, means uh, the electricity, the green uh, or renewable energy sector into the industries, into the processes. So the hydrogen is really can fulfill a wide range of um, of um, yeah, possibilities, I would say. Yeah, uh, we, we had uh, on episode 30, we had um, hydrogenics uh, on and they were recently mm -hmm. acquired by uh, another um, engine company um and uh, but they you know they have uh technology that that uh, both they have the the fuel cell technology but they also have the uh hydrolysis uh uh like what, what they call uh power to gas technology and, and so that, that's an exciting piece of the space but let's get back to uh combustion of, of hydrogen um and in particular you know i want to start to get into the guts of uh, the the engine and and you know i'm hoping to hear from both Frank and from Dan, given Dan's uh, experience on the tools. But talk to me a bit about, you know, if we move from a traditional natural gas or even a biogas to hydrogen, um, are there advantages, disadvantages? Like what are the, at the risk of using a poor pun, what are the knock-on uh, effects of, you know, burning hydrogen? And I guess it probably depends on how much you're burning, but talk to us about what changes when you start to burn uh, hydrogen in an in a internal combustion engine. Yes, um, so advantages, of course, uh, you have a CO2-free um, engine because, yeah, sure, no C atoms in and no Cs comes out. It's a uh, big advantage, but just because the engine is running on hydrogen, it does not mean that it has zero emission at all when you don't take advantage of the combustion process. So due to hydrogen's very high flame speed, it produces high NOx emissions, at lambdas, lambda means uh, air to fuel ratios of two or lower. So hydrogen engines must run on lambdas of 2.5 or higher to strive for true zero emission engine operation. Does that, um, bring, just to cut you off there, Frank, does that mean that you're putting in more air to fuel than you would on a typical combustion engine? Exactly that, yes. Okay. okay. So for a natural gas engine, for example, you could never run at such high lambdas um, because the ignitability of the natural gas would not allow that. So true zero emission is um, not possible at this natural gas, but hydrogen's, hydrogen um, burns very well. So this high lambdas and with that the low NOx um, emissions can get realized. But um, yeah, as you said, um, there are challenges. We need a lot of air into the engine and the turbocharger of the engine must be designed that way that it delivers a high air volume flow to reach that high lambdas. And at the same time, we want our hydrogen engines to be able to run on both 100% hydrogen and 100% natural gas, what could be a big advantage of this technology, so that uh, the customers have the possibility uh, to switch. 
And um, yeah, so we have a very strong turbocharger for hydrogen operation, but we don't need that or it's too much for natural gas. So you need a good control system and um, abilities to, to control this, um, this boost pressure. And um, yeah, beside of the turbocharging system, one of the key technologies is the high turbulent combustion concept in the engine and with an optimized pre-chamber spark plug. So also here, there must be the possibility to run on hydrogen and if the customer want to, on natural gas. Um, of course, the main design of the combustion uh, con uh, process is for hydrogen and that, that leads to compromises in natural gas operation um, to compare to an engine what is just designed for natural gas. Um, yeah, but um, the, the possibility should always be there. And yeah, the very high lambda for zero emission in hydrogen um, reduces um, the ignitability also of the hydrogen air mixture. And um, with that, the rate of combustion becomes a bit lower. And with our development, we were able to reduce combustion instability to a very low value, what leads to high efficiency in this lean operation. And the spark plug design for these demands were challenging, but we solved that um, yeah, together with a partner from the USA. And, um, so we have a very um, stable combustion um, for hydrogen, what also allows uh, natural gas by some compromises, of course, with power reduction and so on. So your your base design, your 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 design intent is that the engine can run both 100% hydrogen and 100% natural gas. Like you know, and the client could switch, the the operator could switch. Yes. Not it's yeah. not something where you know you're buying a hydrogen engine and you're fixed on it. Um, this is uh, the reason is it makes currently sometimes sense because. The customers who have installed and decentralized their um, electrolysis, they're storing the hydrogen. Maybe uh, they have tank capacities, a uh, 40 bar tank, and store it. And then it's enough for, let's say, uh, 12 or 24 hours. But um, they store it just if there is um, the, the, the energy or the electricity for free, they use it for the electrolysis, means there's too much wind and the wind turbines or solar panels would stand still because of overcapacity. So they use that time to store. But there can be times where the storage is empty, but there is some high there's still a high energy demand. And uh, with natural gas, it's also a good source. It's also... Um, an environmental um, friendly uh, source, not uh, carbon free, of course, but um, also not um, that bad as coal or something. They can produce uh, energy with the engine without having hydrogen. So they have the green hydrogen, and if the storage is maybe empty, they can switch to, to natural gas. So this was the reason why we wanted to to offer both um, opportunities. So if there's no hydrogen available at that time, they can produce, still can produce the energy. So it was a, it was a, a decision to provide the owner operator with uh, flexibility. Um, did you weigh that against, you know, was there a, an op, like, would you have done things significantly differently in the, in the, in the design if it was only ever hydrogen? Like you, you probably would have, you, you probably made some changes along the way to, you know, give that flexibility, perhaps. 
Um, it's that way. Um, we designed the engine to be as efficient as possible for hydrogen. Okay. So it's uh, basically it's pure hydrogen. Um, the controls, for example, um, a wastegate for a turbocharger or something, uh, are more complex. So we we have a bit complexity um, to to have this um, engine what can run on both. But the, the engine design, the combustion design, are without compromises to a high efficiency in, in uh, hydrogen. And then we, we've seen, okay, what can we do uh, with natural gas? What is the maximum power output? What do we need to control different? But um, the main design is for pure hydrogen. Okay, cool. And Dan, I mean, you and I have sat in countless meetings with clients and you've talked about, you know, pulling heads and gapping spark plugs and changing seals and dealing with oil i mean what what's going to be different in that whole phase of of operating a unit like this um you know are, are we going to see different wear patterns are we are we using different technologies you know what what changes in in that you know what i you know what i personally think separates you know the the different kind of um value chains in this space is, is the, the uptime and the serviceability of these units. What, what's going to be different in that world as we start to burn more and more hydrogen in these units? Yeah, good, good question. It'll, it'll really depend on the, um, the blend of, of, of fuel, but uh, at, at this point, uh, our, our maintenance interval frequency is more frequent than the um, traditional natural gas engine. Uh, and, and that will be a conservative approach initially while we um, gain more and more runtime on our units and, and, and understand what that, uh, that impact is. We, we do have some, some good significant runtime now, but uh, as 2G always does, we, we, we learn and we adapt uh, to, to, to uh, minimize and uh, ensure the customer has the best total cost of ownership. Hmm. And and will it will it impact you know uh, lubricating oil at all? Good question. I have to defer to Frank on the lube oil. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so you need to uh, consider the flames, the the, the um, very high flame speeds. The flame burns closer to the wall of the liner of the cylinder liner than a natural gas. So um, you need to. Um, consider the the lubrication concept and which oil you uh, use but um, um, it, ha it don't have an, a negative impact on on run times in oil or um, duration of wealth gap setting or something so um, we've learned that um, the um, yeah we drive the engines very lean so um, we have a very cold exhaust gas for example and um, we don't have the, the power output. We have around uh, 15 to 20 percent less than in standard natural gas um, operation. And mechanically, uh, the engine is um, not that um, stressed as um, from a, as a natural gas engine. So it's um, currently what we see is it's getting. Um, from the service perspective on a, the same level, but of course we have some additional components. We have the gas injectors. We don't mix an uh, fuel to air ratio in front of the turbocharger, compress it and bring it to the cylinders as it is in a natural gas engine or biogas engine. Mm. We just 
compress air and have injectors, uh, which um, brings the hydrogen direct in front of the inlet valves. And of course, these injectors um, are in service part. Um, and um, we have learned a lot about um, yeah some materials. So um, what you can use and um, what you better not use. So some coated parts uh, they must be uh, absolutely resistant in a in a hydrogen um, atmosphere. And we learned. Um, what work and what will not work, and made these changes out of the learnings um, also in our standard natural gas and biogas products. So we switched, so where we've seen some coatings or something, we switched that for the for the whole series then, uh, not just for hydrogen uh, mm. engine. So we learned a bit about what we need to change and changed it for the whole series because it had a positive impact on everything. So you're you're taking the learnings from hydrogen and, and the whole family of engines is benefiting as a result. Exactly, and the numbers, of course, um, are also higher when you use one for all, of course. Sure. Um, you mentioned a couple so things. To, Go ahead, Dan. To that extent, uh, the, those learnings have uh, resulted in our our natural gas offering having uh, doubled the the service life. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And, and that's sorry. That's because we're not stressing it as hard, Dan. No, it's just implementing all the learnings from oh. um, from uh, for for the the base uh, natural gas version or biogas version. Yes. And implementing those materials and 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 design criteria that was required for hydrogen into into our product, we've been able to extend our life cycle. And and does that mean you know there's less you know, less service intervals, like you're, you're just skipping interruptions. Really? Wow. That's very positive. Um, skipping intervals, well, not skipping, but no longer required intervals, but, right. uh, and, uh, and extended life. Wow. That's, that's excellent. Um, now on a couple things that you said there, Frank, um, I heard you say lower exhaust temperature. So, um, in a CHP application, that's going to have uh, an impact on on recoverable heat. Um, do we do we think do we, are we starting to see some of that already? Um, we have lower temperatures, but we have a much higher mass flow. We have this high lambda, what means um, yeah we we put a lot of more air to the fuels than in the natural gas engine uh, to drive it very lean. But with that, the mass flow increase. So uh, in some we're talking about overall efficiencies in the range of a natural gas engine means, uh, um, of course, we have an, a bit an impact um, on the thermal output energy, but we still with an overall efficiency over 80% with uh, thermal efficiencies of uh, 40% plus. And uh, this is what you see also a turbocharged larger uh, natural gas or biogas engine. So we're not, um, it have a, a bit an impact, but not, not strong. Okay, and, and it sounds like it doesn't have a major impact on electrical efficiency then. Um, no, the electrical efficiency is still, um, yeah, it's, it's a compromise. We have this, uh, this high lambdas, what will um, reduce it at first, but we did a lot of technology, um, especially, yeah, for example, this, this spark plug. We work really with a pre-chamber spark plug to have um, a good ignition and um, 
and stable uh, combustion. So we, we kept the electrical efficiency uh, still around 40%. Uh, that's a good value. Um, yeah, through the through the product line, the electrical efficiency on the smaller engine at 115 kilowatts is about 38%, and then at the 650 kilowatt product size, it's 41.1. Wow, that's great. And uh, did I hear you also say that you're getting about 10 or 15% less power? So the same block that got 600 kilowatts on natural gas get, you know, somewhere around five. 2540 on hydrogen is that is that what it's about a 35% derating 35% okay okay yeah it's depending on so um, we have our targets and um, we wanted to reach the goal with um, yeah maximum 50% um, we have it in operation um, in, in yeah in test operation with that high power output we sell it currently with, I think, as Dan said, 30, 35%. Okay. But I'm uh, optimistic that we um, increase it in the next month, yeah. Okay, very cool. Now, um, let's talk about, you know, we talked a bit about blending and things of that nature, but can you take a, an existing, like let's say somebody's got a top-end overhaul coming up on their existing hardware. Can you can you put a kit on it that converts it to a, a hydrogen or a dual fuel? Is that is that possible if somebody wants to preempt this move towards hydrogen? Uh, yes. So that's uh, something that we can uh, definitely do on a 2G product. Uh, a five-year-old engine, an example from 2G, can be converted to uh, to uh, run on hydrogen, pure hydrogen. And any engine that we are selling today can be uh, set up to run on, on pure uh, natural gas. And as hydrogen becomes more and more available, we can convert them as an example at the minor overhaul or, or sooner. It's just a difference in price because there's some configuration differences in the piston and, and the combustion system. But uh, we can convert them to run on, uh, on uh, whatever fuel mix comes for the future. Now that fuel mix piece, it's interesting. So let's say that, you know, we get to a point, whether it's in Germany or it's in Ontario or in North America, where we have these hydrolysis units or electrolysis hydrolysis units throughout, um, you know, the, the countryside tied to wind turbines and putting, you know, putting surplus power uh, into the storage uh, as hydrogen. You know, that's not going to be a perfect science in terms of control and your engines are going to see fluctuating volumes or mixes of hydrogen i would imagine um i understand that like how important is the it's one thing to get a blend but if the blend uh ratio fluctuates i mean how how much can the engine tolerate you know a change from five percent hydrogen to 15 like you know swings of that nature is it is does it not notice does it does it see it how does that work? Yeah, so um, strong swings. Um, it's it depending how quick they 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 came up. So um, basically, the engine must be designed for the worst case. So um, if you can expect up to maybe thirty percent hydrogen, you need the engine designed for thirty percent. And if you have then ten uh, percent, um, it's okay for the engine. The uh, mixture, the lambda regulator, will um, will recognize this. 
um, if a mixture change will go in a time period what is acceptable, the engine can regulate it by itself. If it comes from one second to the other, um, it will be challenging. So an, an homogenic uh, mixture would be an, uh, yeah, would, would be nice. <laughs> I've personally had that rate of change frequency being far too quick for an engine to handle on hydrogen a few years ago. Mm. <laughs> Where the where the the proportion of hydrogen was it was increasing or decreasing, Dan, in in the in the fuel? very rapidly. Yeah, yeah. the engine would, would swing around. The constituents in the fuel would change uh, too drastically for uh, the air fuel mixture system to to respond, and uh, the load would swing accordingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, Frank, you're you know you guys. Uh, would not bring something to market if if you didn't believe in it like what what has been your you talked a bit about the rd but like in terms of you know putting hardware uh you know in the field or um you know testing it at extent like do you have some units out there are they you know units you're running or do you have you know clients who have already purchased and are operating talk to us about kind of the the the, the history or the proven track record mm -hmm. running on hydrogen yeah, the first engine was in 2011 installed um, in uh, Berlin, the building site of our airport there, what um, will get in operation uh, this year. So um, there was a concept um, yeah, with an, a wind turbine park, electrolysis, and uh, our hydrogen unit. Um, it was um, in, in test run there. It um, was um, yeah for experimental and... Um, yeah, was was a good um, good uh, testing demonstration engine, and um, then a long time there happened not that much. We could develop at that engine very good, and then came up the project in the city of um, Hasfurt. Um, then that was a, the second engine. It um, is in operation now since around one year, and we could do further developments, and we have. Um, delivered um, also engines to other customers now. So we are away from this um, really prototype demonstrator phase to a pre-series uh, delivery. What we say, okay, they, they run, um, we have a lot of experience with hydrogen or high hydrogen content gases and uh, deliver the engines now into the market more and more. One is delivered to the expo in uh, Dubai um, should be in 2020, but is um, because of Corona now switched to uh, 2021. It is installed there at the solar field in the desert near Dubai, close to the expo area, where Siemens um, Electrolysis is producing the green hydrogen from the solar farm. And there's also a nice um, demonstrator, demonstration project, and good to see that they're going also there with an engine. Um, yeah, but we collect most experience at our plants here in Germany. Um, another interesting project is currently in production for the use of 40% hydrogen, where we also do the mixture or are responsible to mix the hydrogen to the gas. Um, yeah, that one goes to Japan, for example. So uh, we feel fine uh, with the technology and we can go um, out with that to regular customers. Very good. And and Dan, what do you think? What do you think in North America? Uh, how long till we start to put these engines uh, in active service in uh, in North America? There's a lot of interest, yeah, and uh, a lot of opportunity in putting the reality uh, 
in place. Uh, I, I expect it to be sooner than later. Cool. And you know what? What do you see, Frank, in terms of um, like how does I assume there's probably some type of cost premium to go with a hydrogen type uh, engine. I mean, is it in Germany? Are there you know, different credits and stuff that that you know renewable credits that the 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 operator can get like how do they justify implementing a hydrogen or or is it still in the demo phase or like what's the business case behind a, a hydrogen fueled engine mm. yeah um the engines what are installed are um yeah they, they get um some incentives or um, yeah, the money from 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 projects and they are um, supported by government currently. So there is uh, currently no um, realistic business case where it's um, yeah economic without um, these um, subsidies or something. So um, it's um, you need the time till the hydrogen is, is available and the green hydrogen is, is cheaper available to, um, until there will come up some business cases what can run without um, some, um, some fees, I think. So the, the, the projects we have currently uh, in the field are all um, yeah, some um, developed projects with, with some fees, governmental or something. Yeah, I mean, what we see driving the economics here is is being able to um, the, 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 the reduce the carbon emissions on a CHP, right. for example, and, and pay perhaps a premium for the fuel, but not a premium. The premium is outweighed by the avoided cost of, of, of carbon emissions. So, so that's where we see really a, an opportunity for hydrogen huh. here, here in, in North America. So agreed. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, this it's is really not about the kilowatt, right? About the right, carbon, right? Well, and and you know, one of the things we've been talking about a lot is is how can we start to uh, normalize the discussion around units of energy, right? So we talk about you know a kilowatt hour of electricity, but we talk about a a, a gigajoule of of natural gas or an MMBTU of of natural gas, and it's hard for the average person to, if you're not in the space, to to kind of do the do the comparison. So, you know, you're paying 15 cents for a kilowatt hour, and you're paying five dollars for a, you know, or six dollars for a gigajoule. Well, at first glance, one, you know, but you have to you have to normalize it based on the same, you know, energy units, and then also needs to be normalized and include the whole cost of carbon, and the whole cost of, um, you know, of, of delivery, right? So, for example. In Ontario, where we're talking about electrifying everything, it, and everybody wants to put, you know, boilers on um, on electric heat. Well, you need a lot of infrastructure upgrades, and so you know that kilowatt hour, you, it has to bear the whole price, the price of those infrastructure upgrades. Where if you burned a renewable natural gas or a hydrogen out of the infrastructure that's already there, you'd get the same energy. Uh, and it wouldn't have to bear that um, that cost. So so we're starting to promote a, a conversation around, you know, let's compare apples to apples because right now we're comparing apples to oranges to grapes, and it's just not fair. Um, so anyway, agreed. So, so one one kilogram of hydrogen is thirty three kilowatts of electricity. Yes. Cool. Or sorry, of energy input. Energy input. Energy input. Okay, right on. Cool. 
that's that's good that's a good metric so well thanks guys for that that deep dive into your hydrogen technology and where you guys see the market going um kind of as we as we wrap up here uh is there anything else that the 2g's you know working on or that you guys are excited about um in terms of you know different technology or different fuels or you know different applications of of more mature technology what else is on the radar that might be interesting to our listeners well uh, I'll speak first. Uh, I mean, 2G, 2G's R&D department is uh, always constantly working to optimize uh, our solutions and uh, looking future forward or looking into the future. Sorry. Um, so at, at this point, what what's uh, real for for 2G on this side of the pond is uh, uh, 2G has its own ORC technology, uh, also has its own SCR technology. And uh, it's Noxbox, which is used to ensure ultra-low emissions. Uh, also, with the R&D department, we've, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've extended uh, our service life, uh, our ser uh, service life and service intervals, uh, based on the experiences that we've uh, gathered through through the different fuel usages. Um, and from a service offering perspective, we have uh, some very interesting solutions, including. Uh, machinery breakdown and business interruption protections cool so pro providing more confidence in the the the, the uptime and the long-term kind of viability of the uh, the business case so to speak absolutely we stand behind it what about you frank what else are what else are you dreaming up in your uh, r d department in hague <laughs> yeah i just can say additionally to what dan says so we are our, yeah, our target is we're driven by making it easy for the customer to use combined heat and power units. As you said in the beginning, the sexy technologies, wind or solar, uh, they are also uh, much easier, much less connection points than a CHP unit has. So especially from the service perspective, we could increase uh, the service intervals also by using an artificial intelligence by doing predictive maintenance with it. So the engines need to be connected. They're really well protected by this um, um, automatic system to, um, to, to see um, yeah, that we can get increased these intervals and also driven currently very strong by all this emission, emission um, things, um, NOx emissions um, and, um, and others. So from hydrogen to natural gas, we have their very nice uh, developments, I think, so that we can reduce NOx, increase efficiencies, extend the service intervals, um, and these are the main drivers currently. It's exciting. It's exciting times. Different fuels, you know, different control systems, different, you know, automation and AI. I think it's exciting. The Internet of Things, and uh, it's an exciting time to be uh, to be in this industry, to say the least. Uh, well, thank you both for for joining me today and having a discussion about uh, what you guys are working on in the hydrogen economy as a whole. Um, best way to get a hold of you guys. Uh, what's the best way to find 2G and and uh, and yourselves? Well, I mean, the World Wide Web is a beautiful thing. So 2g-energy.com, uh, you can reach out uh, to us through that or um, or LinkedIn. Any methodology will work. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, uh, 
Mr. Frank Griva uh, for for uh, joining us. I hope I got a little bit closer that time around. Uh, but gents, this was fun. Uh, I, I, I'm smarter for it and I uh, hope our listeners will be too. So uh, thank you both for carving out time today to join us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for listening to episode 31 of Energy Radio with our friends from 2G Energy talking about hydrogen as a seasonal storage play. On behalf of uh, the team here, I want to thank uh, Lisa Barber, our executive producer, and Mark Charbonneau, our man behind the glass. For Energy Radio, I'm Matt Lensing. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk again soon.